Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for that time of worship leading us. Um, some powerful truths in those songs today. Amen, church? Powerful truths. Um, this morning, I want to go ahead and, and welcome you again. Welcome everybody that's joining us online. Glad to have you with us here this morning. I'm grateful uh, that you have chosen today to be with us on this beautiful day. It's time for us to gather together to worship our great God and uh, to sit under the teaching of his word. And as we are doing that, I want to remind you, as we always do at this time, about our, uh, our time of giving, which is a form of worship. And so if you want to give uh, to the ministry of homes or um, to uh, what God is doing here and how he's moving and working in our midst, you can uh, via the ways that you see there on the screen uh, or through uh, the uh, giving to the ushers on the way out this morning. Um, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, uh, you are joining us in week two of our mini-series through the book of Acts uh, in, involving Paul's first missionary journey. This mini-series is titled The First Missionary Journey. And in this series, we are taking in and, and seeing the, the journey that they've gone on and the things that has happened thus far. Uh, we saw last week, uh, just as it sounds, with this first missionary journey, Paul is going about with Barnabas. They sent out, uh, been sent out to Cyprus, as, as Pastor Walter talked, uh, taught us last week. And this is part one, one if you will, of their journey to uh, Pisidia. We're, we're not going to cover every bit of it today. That'll be continued next week with Pastor Walter covering that uh, through the rest of uh, this story of them. But we're going to see this first part when they get there today. I want to keep continue building upon this idea, as Pastor Walter preached last week, about the ministry of reconciliation. So I've entitled the message today, just as it says, a, a super fancy title, right? The ministry continued. The ministry continued. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 25 here this morning. Uh, and, and as you may recall from what was said, and you may hear me even say this again a little bit later, but when we think of ministry, it, it's just not something that's reserved just for your pastors, your deacons, your church leadership. Like we all as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have been commissioned by God to be on mission for him. That's why we say every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability. We mean, yes, circle of accountability right around here, but we also mean circle of accountability of where you are, where you live, work, and play in your daily lives. The places in which you interact with people, the neighbors that you have. You know, you have a neighbor that's next door to you that I don't have next door to me. God has divinely placed you next door to that person, and he's put you there as a beacon of light in the midst of darkness in our world to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. See, it's something that is reserved for all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus. Yes, there are specific roles within ministry, within the church. The, 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 the saints are equipped for the work of ministry by the leadership of the congregation, but we are all called to be ministers of reconciliation. And so I want to continue that thought as we continue in this passage, looking at Paul's journey moving forward. So if you would, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? I'm reading from the ESV as we always do. The words will be on the screen for you as well. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the sovereign Lord, the creator that knows everything about us. Lord, you know our hurts, you know our pains. You know our questions, you know our doubts, you know our sin. And yet, Lord, in the midst of all of those things that you know of us, you still graciously and mercifully gave your only son to die for us. What an incredible gift that is to us, Lord, something that we do not deserve. Father, we want to continue to glorify you and honor you here today in this place. So Lord, over these next few minutes through the proclamation of your word, I pray that you be with me, Lord, that you would proclaim the truth, Lord, that you would keep me out of the way. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to be glorified. We honor you, we bless you. May you increase, may we decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. So in our ministry as followers of Jesus, ministers of reconciliation in this ministry, there will be difficulties, but we must always be prepared for the opportunities to boldly proclaim our understanding of the gospel. So if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. The first point that you could write down is difficulties in our ministry. Difficulties in our ministry. Look at the very first half of verse 13. Now Paul and his companions companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Let's stop there. Now we see that this transition is starting to take place from where we left, left off last week. And Paul and his team, they set sail for Paphos, okay, to go to Perga in Pamphylia. They've evangelized part of Cyprus, and now they're looking to continue their work down in the south coast of Asia Minor. Now see, Perga, just to give you a context of where that is in maybe modern day, Perga was about 12 miles inland between the Tarsus Mountains and the Mediterranean Sea. This is a present-day Turkey. So if you were to look on the map and see it, you would see present-day Turkey. Now, before we go further, I want us to remember something, okay? I want us to remember something that was said right around Acts 9. It was in the chapter of Acts 9 when 
Paul has been saved. Saul is, you know, knocked off of the donkey and, and, and he sees the Christ there and, and Christ is calling out to him and, uh, and it's just this powerful moment of his conversion. Paul, known as Saul at the time, he was the one that was going and he was ravaging the church. He was killing Christians. He wanted nothing to do with them and yet now God has set him apart for this journey. Do you remember what happens when Jesus calls out to Ananias? He tells him to go to Saul, and Ananias, rightfully so, is like, wait a second, Lord, you, you know this is Saul, the killer of Christians. You know that this is a bad dude. Like, are you sure this is the guy? And Jesus says, yes. And I'm summarizing here, but he says, he will suffer much for my name's sake. He's my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles. See, for Paul, there is going to be many difficulties through his journey of proclaiming the gospel. There's going to be many journey, there are going to be many difficulties for him. Maybe we know for sure physically he has many physical ailments. We know from his writing to the church of Galatia that as he's writing to them he's talking about some physical ailments with his eyesight and things that are going on. We know that he is flogged over the course of his time. We know he is shipwrecked over the course of his time on his journeys. He had many difficulties physically, but he also had emotional. He also had uh, personal type issues, maybe with others. There were difficulties that arose for him. Look at 13b. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. It's interesting to note here that Luke indicates that John Mark leaves the brothers and heads back to Jerusalem. Now Luke doesn't tell us why that happens here. He doesn't tell us why he leaves them. But we know from later on in Acts 15 that Luke says that his departure, John Mark's departure, was that of a desertion. So whatever may have happened, it wasn't viewed positively. It was this negative view of why he left them during that period. It left some issues between Paul and Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas, this is his cousin, John Mark. What was it that happened with Mark? Could it be that maybe he was homesick? Could it be maybe that he was fearful? Could it be that maybe things weren't the way that they, he thought that they were supposed to be when he signed up for this, so he said, I can't do this? It makes me ask the question, it makes me wonder, what is it like for us as we are on this mission that God's called us to? Have you ever had a moment in time whenever you've gone to do something that the Lord has called you to and you thought it was this way? and it ended up being nothing like you thought? Maybe it was the exact opposite. It was nothing like you pictured. I remember several years ago, and, and through the blessing of some of you in this room, I was able to go on a mission trip with Southeastern Seminary to Chicago. And on that mission trip, while I'm there, I won't give you the long, drawn-out story. It just blew me away what happened on that trip, but before I even left, I had this image in my mind. The purpose of why we were going was to come alongside of a church plant that was there in the very dangerous city of Chicago to go and evangelize and proclaim the gospel, okay? We were there for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. It was a team of maybe about 20 of us. Pastor Matt Horn from Calvary New City Church in Denver that we support, that we are partners with in ministry, he was there with me on that trip. We even roomed together. And I remember going into that trip. I'm on the I'm at the airport, excuse me, about to get on the plane. 
And I've got this horrific, I kid you not, Miranda will tell you, I was a big baby. Horrific, like, canker sore going on in my mouth. Like, I was just in pain before we even left. And throughout the week, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. I went to CVS. I went to Walgreens. I got medicine. I got some stuff to numb it. Like, nothing was helping the pain. Like, I was just miserable. And then when we get there, like, I picture, like, man, we're going to go, we're going to talk to these people, and we're going to have so many people want to talk, and you want to talk about hard interactions with people? Walking up to people and trying to share our faith with them was very controversial in that part of where we were. Nobody wanted to talk. Now, over the course of the time, yeah, there were still a handful of people that we would get the chance to talk to and proclaim the gospel to, but there were several people, they wanted nothing to do with it, and they were very blunt about wanting nothing. So this picture in my mind of what I thought the trip was like, it was not like that at all. But it was still the purpose of why we were there was to proclaim the gospel. It was a difficult time. Now, granted, that's only a week. It's not a full missionary journey like Paul is on and the difficulties facing or maybe that they were facing this moment. But what, what could it have been for John Mark? Whatever it was, it led to this conflict amongst him and the guys. That's worth noting. As we continue in the ministry of reconciliation, as we continue to be on mission for God moving forward from this day till our last. As followers of Jesus, we are going to have conflicts. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have conflicts with one another. We're family. We are family in the body of Christ, yet we're not always going to get along. Why? We're sinners that are saved by grace. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have issues that arise with each other, with the lost world, that we're trying to evangelize, trying to disciple. And prayerfully, those things can be restored. Prayerfully, those conflicts are not massive things that lead to separating or anything like that. Prayerfully, things can happen and they can be restored and things can go well. You know, I think about it with Mark. It seems like things ended well for him. See, he writes a gospel. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says to Timothy in the letter, Luke alone is with me right now. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. He's very useful. So although this was a negatively viewed thing that happened in this moment that we read about now, at least it looks like things were restored later on. But whatever it may be, there, there may be those personal tight conflicts, but there may be emotional tolls that you take on in the work of ministry. It may be physical ailments that you face in the work of ministry. By God's grace, we have not seen any kind of necessary anything like what we're seeing across the globe with persecution as we've talked about before. But a day like that may come. There's going to be difficulties in the ministry as we move forward, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. Look at the first part of verse 14. But when they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, 
Stop there for a minute. After John Mark departs, they continue from Perga and they arrive in Antioch. Now, this is a major, major Roman colony where many Jews lived. And to give you an idea of the travel within the difficulty, like the physical terrain, Tony Moridi is a wonderful Bible scholar. He's a professor. One of the things that he says in his commentary, he actually quotes Pohill from Pohill's commentary, and he says this. Antioch lay some 100 miles to the north across from Tarsus mountain range. The route was barren, often flooded by swollen mountain streams and notorious for its bandits, which even the Romans had difficulty bringing under control. Antioch itself was in the highlands, some 3,600 feet above sea level. So there's, there's terrain issues. There's all of this here. There's bandits. This is a journey, right? There's difficulty physically here with these things. And as I've already mentioned, Paul's already indicated in his letter to the Galatians about these bodily ailments and things with his eyesight. And we know from other of his writings, like, there are many things that he faced, See, based on Poe Hill's words here, present, they present to us this obvious reality of the mountain range and the elevation that is going to cause issues as well. This area in which they're going to, it was incorporated in the province of Galatia in about 25 BC, and it was made a Roman colony by Augustus. And, and, and as we've already seen, it's this military and civil center. So there's this great presence now, what can we learn from just these one and a half verses so far? Ministry's hard. I'm not saying that it's, it's a piece of cake. It's difficult. We're going to have difficult days, but we must continue to move forward in them. We must be obedient to the Lord's call and we must understand that we will face conflicts and difficulties along the way. But don't you remember the beauty of the promise that we have from the Lord? Before the Lord ascends, what does he tell the disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Proclaims the news to go. And then he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So there are difficulties in ministry. But secondly, there's opportunities in ministry. Opportunities in our ministry. Look at the second part of verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Okay, they, they're going in. It's the Sabbath day. It's time for them to go into the synagogue. Verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, to give you an idea of this typical flow of the worship in the synagogue, it's usually like a call to worship. It's the reciting of appropriate prayers, the reading from the law and the prophets. And following this is an address that is typically given, like a sermon. It's just addressing the people. Now, the, determining who would speak would fall upon the ruler of the synagogue. And so here we see the rulers, they have reached out to Paul and they've asked him and Barnabas, would you guys like to offer a word of exhortation? Now, the cool thing about Luke's writing of this is he gives us a little view into two different specific cases like this 
where we can hear of what is being said. One of which is from Jesus himself. Right after the temptation account in Luke 4, 16 through 27, we see Jesus do something very similar. And I want to read it to you to point out something. Listen to this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind, to set a liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, like a mic drop moment. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words and were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What have we heard you did at Capernaum do here in the hometown as well? And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Zidon to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman and Syrian. See, it's interesting to note here from what we're gonna see Paul say later in this passage for today and moving in forward to next week, we see the beauty of Jesus standing here in the synagogue in Luke 4, talking as if reading from the prophet Isaiah and saying, I am the fulfillment. This has been fulfilled in front of you today. And yet Paul is going to point to Jesus being the fulfillment of David's line. Verse 17, or 16 excuse me, says, So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. He motions with his hand. It's his way of getting their attention. And when he says there, men of Israel and you who fear God, he lets us in on who the audience is. See, when he says men of Israel, he's talking about the Israelites, the Jews, Jews by birth and possibly in some cases conversion, the Gentiles who recognized that the true God was worshiped in the synagogue and therefore they desired to join in the worship. They're commonly referred to as the God-fearers. So what are you getting at, Brian? What is the point of this? There are opportunities for us in our ministry. For Paul and Barnabas, and you might hear this, you might say, well, yeah, that makes total sense because it's Paul. God commissioned him out. He told him to do it. Hear me. He's going into the synagogue for the day of worship. He's going in there to be a part of things. There was no pre-planned service order with him knowing three weeks in advance that he was going to be speaking that day. And yet as he goes in, the rulers of the synagogue say, brothers, would you like to offer a word of exhortation? 
And Paul, being the obedient follower of Jesus that he is, stands up and takes advantage of the opportunity. The opportunity presents itself, and so he moves forward with it. Now, what I said a second ago is saying, well, yeah, this is Paul. This is what God commissioned him to do. What is the difference between Paul being commissioned to do it and us? Because each and every one of us have been given the great commission, have we not? We've been given the commission by God to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to every man, woman, and child that we encounter. You see, for this opportunity here, they're sitting in a synagogue proclaiming it before the people. It doesn't mean that you have to get up here and proclaim it before a group of people that are gathered. What this could look like for you is sitting on the front porch or at the dining room table with the neighbor next door who God has graciously given you the opportunities to build a relationship with. As the conversations start to grow and you get to learn more and more about each other, you start to pick up on things and you realize, wait a minute, this is something that they like. Oh, wait a minute, this is something that was difficult for them in their life. And each of those different opportunities, different for many different people, as they present themselves, the Lord gives you the opportunity to speak life to that person. To do much as Peter talks about in his epistle that we studied last year, to give an account for the hope that lies within you. The opportunities will present themselves. They're going to look very different across the board. But we have to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented before us. And number three, have boldness and understanding in our ministry. Boldness and understanding in our ministry. You see, we begin to see Paul address his hearers with this sermon outline, much like Stephen's from a little bit earlier in Acts. It goes back in time to declare the truth of the Old Testament and showing what God has done. You see, the point of this section is to understand the audience. He understood that most of the crowd are men of Israel, so therefore he has to tie in the Old Testament prophecy to get them to where they are. If we, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but think of this rhetorically. Do you sit and think most of the time, like the people that are here in Charleston, like they've heard of Jesus? Do we, do we have that thought? A lot of us have that thought. We think, well, if they haven't been in Charleston, they've been in the state of South Carolina for some period of time. They're part of the Bible Belt. Like these people understand who Jesus is. Here's the reality for us, church. When some 40 people are moving to Charleston a day, most of them are coming from areas that have nowhere been near the Southeast. Most of them are from the Northeast, anywhere else across the globe for that matter because of the things that are booming and growing here in Charleston. We have so many people that are coming here that have no clue about Jesus. And so we, sitting at the table talking with them, we might not have to open up the prophet Isaiah and start talking to them through Isaiah. We might just need to open the, the, the gospel of John and start with, in the beginning was the word. Let me explain to you who Jesus is and go that way. We have to understand the context of who we are talking with. Now, you may interact with somebody that's a neighbor of yours or somebody that says, man, I was in church growing up and I was hurt by the church and yeah, 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 I know all this stuff about Jesus. You have a completely different place to start with that person than you do with someone that's never heard anything of the gospel. 
So we have to understand our audience. We have to understand the people in which we are engaging with. Verse 17 tells us that Paul says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. What he's doing here between verse 17 through 20 is he's giving multiple centuries from the Exodus account up until Samuel. And so here in 17, he said that God chose his people and he saved them from slavery in Egypt. He then in verse 18 says, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. He describes God's patience as he puts up with them in wilderness. For us, we have to see this and remember that God put up with their rebellion and with their disobedience against him. They constantly question his care. They constantly question whether he was there with them. We, we talked about this several weeks ago in the, in the Life Connect group on Sunday morning with the Exodus overview. We've talked about it in our Life Connect groups through the Divine Mentor talking about the manna from heaven and the bread. No matter what, we can read the scriptures and we can see these accounts of people and we see here Paul reminding these people of the people that were in the wilderness and the things that they were doing against God. And we can read that and we can easily, can we not get self-righteous for a minute and be like, man, come on, what were you doing? And yet if we would take the scriptures and allow the scriptures to be a mirror unto us, we can look and say, man, there's been many a times where I'm supposed to be obedient and I have been disobedient, Father. Been many a times where I've questioned you and said, why are you allowing this? Many a times you say, what are you doing? Much like the people in the wilderness. That's just a quick aside. Verses 19 and 20, he says, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. See, Paul covers giving of the promised land to the inher- as the inheritance to the people. God keeps his promises. He covers the length of time being 450 years, and then Paul declares, that following this period, the judges ruled until Samuel the prophet came about. You see, Paul's declaration in these four verses points to a very clear reality for the gathered congregation, for the gathered people here today as well. God keeps his promises. God is sovereign and he ruled over Israel. He rules over his people. He did so from the beginning, saving them from oppression showing mercy during their rebellion and their questioning and leading them to the promised land still. For the listener who knows the scriptures, listening to Paul here in this moment, the next words become probably even clearer for them. See, verses 21 and 22 shift to continue this pointing to the Messiah and the fulfillment. Verse 21 reads, Then they asked for a king, 
And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. They question, they ask, they, God, we want a king. Give us a king. So he gives them Saul, who was there for 40 years. And yet Saul could not, could not be the sinless king that they needed. No one for that matter is until Christ comes. He would not be the one with the heart after God and his dynasty did not endure to the end. So God allowed the removal of Saul and replaced him with another. Look at verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom they testified, of whom he testified, excuse me, and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Notice here, Paul's words are regarding David. God removed Saul and he raised up David to be their king. What's interesting to note is that in the Old Testament, the term raised up is a common expression for God bringing forth a prophet or a ruler to serve his people. What's interesting is this idea of raising up David. Jesus would eventually come from David's line for the eternal kingdom. And Jesus, after surrendering his life and dying on the cross, would be buried and would be raised up on the third day. Verse 23 reads, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Again, God keeps his promises. Paul's declaration of such a promise is noted in scripture. We have the prophecy in scripture. We have many prophecies in scripture. One of those, specifically from 2 Samuel 7, comes from Nathan the prophet to David himself. And he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You may remember that reference from the, the Palm Sunday message talking about Jesus. We see this pointing to it. And from this, God surely does bring the one down from the line. He brings Jesus through David's line. See, it's important to note that back in Acts 2, when Peter was giving his message, this, this notation of it coming from the Davidic line, it was important for him to focus on. It was important for Paul to focus on here. Why is that? Because they both knew and understood how significant it was to proclaim it, especially to the people who were listening to them. 
It would be from David that the Messiah would come and would eventually die for the sins of the world and resurrect to new life on the third day after taking God's wrath. Verse 24 and 25 read, Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. You see, it would be John the Baptist who would be that last one proclaiming that he's coming because Jesus comes on the scene right after that. Though some thought that John was the one that could offer the repentance, it was not so. It was Jesus because only Jesus was sinless. Only Jesus could do what he needed to do for God's redemptive plan. So Paul has made it clear to the people, this is the history. This is the fulfillment. It is Jesus. So for us today, we have to stop. We have to think. And we're going to hear more of this continuing next week. But for right now, as we're continuing to think about our ministry to a lost and dying world as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand and, and, and take it and say, yes, I get it. And I know there are going to be difficulties. Whatever they may be, difficulties are going to come. I'm ready, Lord. And when the difficulties come, we take them and we move forward in them. Because even after the difficulties come, or even while the difficulties are coming, the opportunities arise. So we must stand forth and go forward towards those opportunities to boldly proclaim our understanding of the gospel. So I ask you today, church family, where are you at? Where are you within your with Christ? Are you at a point to where you're like, man, I, I, I still don't feel comfortable that I can do this or, or whatnot? Remember, you've been called. So let the church equip you to train you so that you can be ready for the opportunities when they come, because they're going to come. Remember that the Lord is with you so that when the difficulties come, you're able to sustain them and go through them. Be sustained through them and go through them. Excuse me. And then lastly, we must be in the scriptures continually knowing and understanding the truth of the scriptures so that we can know and understand as those opportunities come how we can address the audience in which God has put before us. And you may hear this stuff today. You may be listening online. You may say, I'm not even at that point because I don't even know what it means to follow Jesus. We want to help you. You can see there on the screen, go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact. Reach out to Pastor Walter and I today, even after our gathering. Let us know how we can come alongside and proclaim the truth of the gospel to you so we can prayerfully maybe come and, and lead you to Christ or at least plant the seed and water it. And Christian here today might say, well, man, I, I need to take the next step so that I can be ready for those opportunities we want to equip you for the work of ministry. 
So let us know how. Like, we've got the Life Connect groups. We can set up some times for discipleship for you with other believers, with ourselves, whatever it may be. We want to help you and be able to equip you for the work of ministry as we've been called to do, as Ephesians 4 says. So what we're gonna do now is over these next few moments, we're gonna take a moment of just quiet reflection and prayer, and then the worship team is gonna come forward to sing for us. And we're gonna sing alongside of them. We're gonna proclaim the glory of God's name in song. But over these next few moments, I want it to be a, a time for us just to stop and reflect and say, God, what are you saying to me? And be obedient as he leads during this time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you are good. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you, God, that although we sinned against you, Lord, you loved us enough to send Jesus for us. to die a death that we should have died after living a life that we should live. Lord, we are unworthy of your grace and your mercy, but Lord, you are kind and compassionate and you extend it to us, Lord, although we were your enemies. How can that be? Lord, I pray that we would continue to reflect upon your word that we would continue to reflect upon the reality that you are speaking to us while we are engaging your word. That it is manna for us daily, new every day for us to take and eat. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray that as we continue in our ministry, yes, there will be difficulties, Lord, but there will be opportunities for us to boldly proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. Lord, help us to understand the word. Help us to understand the context of what we're dealing with. Lord, so that your name could be made great to a lost and dying world. Father, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.